from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. New hope for extending human lives with a little help from hogs. Xenotransplantation is not only an, a viable, but an immediate solution to the organ shortage crisis. The latest farm tech that could soon be on your farm. We head to the Consumer Electronics Show for Smart Farm Fridays as a first-of-its-kind fuel plant opens. We can add to it at least $11,000 just from the extra premiums that you get selling it to a ethanol plant. The bottom line impact it could have on producers right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when blood, sweat, and tears meet rain, wind, and sun. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. One plant in the U.S. is now the first to turn ethanol into sustainable aviation fuel. Company officials say LanzaJet Freedom Pines Fuels in Supperton, Georgia will produce 10 million gallons of SAF and renewable diesel each year. USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack on hand for the grand opening, stressing the opportunity ethanol to SAF production can create for American farmers. So this fuel replaces fossil jet fuel. It is a drop-in fuel. It has the exact same characteristics as traditional jet fuel because we want it to work in existing infrastructure and on existing aircraft and existing engines. So you don't need to change any of that. So the beauty of this is it has the same characteristics, but it is cleaner. At the end of the day, if we're really to mitigate the consequences of a changing climate, the transportation sector clearly has to get to a net zero future. In order for it to get to a net zero future, uh, aviation uh, has to get there as well. Uh, and it can't get there without a sustainable aviation fuel. So this is a day to celebrate a very significant step forward. The company's ethanol to SAF technology was originally developed in collaboration with the Pacific Northwest National Lab back in 2010. Its first commercial flights were completed in 2018 and 2019 with Virgin Atlantic and Al Nippon Airways. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins me. And Michelle, one study says production of sustainable aviation fuel could be extremely beneficial for farmers. That's right, Clinton. The Iowa Renewable Fuels Association released a study looking at how the SAF market could impact the Midwest economy. And it looks favorable if corn farmers can increase the carbon intensity of American ethanol. The study concluded that a 35 billion gallon sustainable aviation fuel market by the year 2050 would require another 5 billion bushels of corn annually. All across the Midwest, it would require over the next 20 years, 63 brand new 200 million gallon a year ethanol plants. And Midwest farmers would stand to gain $441 million in additional income from that growth, which is a big boost per farm. We can add to it at least $11,000 just from the extra premiums that you get selling it to a ethanol plant because they tend to pay more than the surrounding opportunities in, in co-ops. However, Shaw says this is only if farmers are given the opportunity to access the SAF market. Currently, U.S. corn farmers face challenges due to the carbon intensity of American ethanol. And so conversely, their study looked at the results of farmers not moving forward on SAF. If we don't create a new market, we're going to lose 20 million acres of corn production because we won't need it over the next 20 years. That would be a, a $60,000 hit to a farmer who farmed 1,000 acres. 
Only one U.S. plant with carbon capture and sequestration produces SAF-friendly ethanol, while Brazil leads in SAF-compatible ethanol production at 7 billion gallons annually. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. The eastern third of the country is continuing to see unseasonably warm temperatures, some that could even break records. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joins us with more. Yeah, we continue to see impacts to the snowpack that was laid down in and across the nation. Now, what I want to do is take a look at the forecast, uh, not only for this afternoon, but also the next day as well, because what we're going to end up seeing is a dividing line between, uh, I'd say, the uh, not quite extreme warm, but certainly the warmer near 70 degrees into Atlanta and New Orleans uh, and the colder with more of the 30s right in between. And that transition zone between the 50s and the 30s is where a lot of that rain is starting to take shape and continuing uh, to pour over locations. Now into the morning, we'll start to retreat that a little bit, but watch what happens into the afternoon. Not only does that warm air surge back up here towards the north, but we're also starting to see the first signs of the 50s and starting to extend back up here to the north as well. So again, that's tomorrow afternoon. Look for an overall trend for warmer than average conditions in and across the United States. Couple of systems that we're going to be watching, especially in the northeast coming up Sunday and into Monday. And go ahead and take a look at your screen here. While some areas have gotten hit with snow and rain, that's not the case in Jamestown, North Dakota. Anthony Fisher sharing a photo of what his fields look like right now. He says with a dry fall and little snowfall in his area, his no-till fields are really collecting topsoil. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. Flip Your Soil on Ag Day is brought to you by ESN. Hear how farmer Heath Cottrell achieved award-winning corn yields with ESN Smart Nitrogen. Learn more at SmartNitrogen.com. As farmers are putting together their crop budgets for 2024, they can see a big return on investments from their fertility program. Proper nutrients are a great way for farmers to flip their soil to achieve their yield goals. With higher fertilizer prices the last few seasons, some farmers cut application rates, especially in drought areas, to save money on input costs. However, agronomist Steve O'Neill with Corn Capital Innovations says that's a practice that can eventually catch up with them. Anytime you drive nitrogen prices up, P&K prices, like we saw the previous two, three years, you know, there was a lot of mining that occurred. There was a lot of, you know, sub replacement removal rates that went in. Uh, you know, depending upon your previous fertility history, you can get away with that for a little bit of time. However, he says top end yields are dependent on proper nutrient levels. That's even more important with lower grain prices because farmers will need every bushel. But, you know, you just can't forget that what what you took out, you need to somehow replace if you want to keep you know, adding back to what you did remove from that soil bank that you have there. So O'Neill says the good news is with last fall's cooperative weather, more P and K were applied. And with fertilizer prices cooling, it will help farmers generate a cropping budget in 2024 that shows some profitability. After several sessions in the green, soybeans dipped double digits on Thursday. We'll take a look at markets coming up next. And later, a look at the three coolest things in agriculture from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. A Smart Farm Friday feature after weather.
New numbers show the economy grew in the fourth quarter at a much better pace than expected. The Commerce Department reporting gross domestic product increased at a 3.3% annualized rate, Wall Street had only expected a 2% gain. And the U.S. economy for all of last year accelerated at a 2.5% annualized pace, also well ahead of the Wall Street outlook. Financial experts say a strong pace of consumer spending helped drive the expansion along with government spending. There also was progress on inflation. Now, core prices for personal consumption expenditures rose 2% for the period. The latest weekly export numbers show net soybean sales were down 28% from the previous week, and that pushed soybeans back down again on Thursday. Michelle Rook is back to see if beans will end the week on a more positive note in markets now. Grain markets on Thursday closed mostly lower except for wheat with a higher day in livestock. Vince Boddicker, Farmers Trading Company, is with us. And Vince, soybeans, a pretty good setback. Was that profit taking or the soybean basis levels dropping in Brazil? I think it's a combination of those soybean basis dropping and people saying, well, basis is dropping. Maybe the crop isn't that tight. You put on top of that, their price being over two bucks cheaper a bushel than we are at current times. And also that forecast this morning uh, changed yesterday. You had Argentina hot and dry for the next two weeks. This morning, it was only for the next seven days. All of that puts a little negative twist in the other side of it, right around two fifty or excuse me, twelve fifty to twelve fifty two. We should have had some resistance and we got close, I think, for a few days and couldn't get through. So you probably had some longs, you know, putting some cash in the pocket and seeing what happens. Absolutely. And so then did corn just follow or did it hit resistance too? I think corn is a follower. It was nice yesterday that we closed over 251 and I think they held fairly well, but it was a tug of war between wheat being higher and beans being lower. And again, 250 area, 256 is going to be a 20 period moving average might be tough to get through that. So some of that bought last week may have said, let's put a little in the bank and see what the weekend does. And the cattle market had a nice day on Thursday, kind of pushed by the cash. That's what we've talked of, uh, you know, with the way it sparked up around noon. We did visit with some clients uh, after the close. They were bid uh, 177 in the north and some talk that it may take 180 to get some bought because they weren't getting any bought. So a nice spark in there. Hopefully we can keep it going. Yeah, and we had new highs for the move, not only in cattle, but in the hog market. So what's pushing the hogs right now? I think part of it is technical and still think looking ahead that numbers are going to get tighter. Exports haven't been too bad. And if we looked at the cold storage report on both pork and beef uh, yesterday, uh, on on uh, Tuesday, I should, or Wednesday, I should say, they were actually pretty good in there, uh, down compared to a year ago and down compared to the five-year. All right, thanks for joining us. Vince Boddicker, Farmers Trading Company. We'll have more update coming up. I want to start off with a big picture being Friday. I want to get you through the weekend and show you kind of what's taking shape for next week. A couple of systems you'll be able to see uh, within the jet stream. But remember that dividing line that I was talking, that transition zone I was talking about just a little bit ago. It does show up in the jet stream uh, where you have a ridge of high pressure uh, in the uh, spring and summer. We call this Bermuda High with the warmer air back down here to the bottom right hand corner of your screen transitioning to a colder air back up here to the north and the northeast uh, northwest. And that's going to set down kind of the railroad tracks for rain and turbulent weather to continue through that corridor. Now, through our Saturday and Sunday, we start to shift this a little bit. Uh, upper level low and a trough starts to dig 
it's pretty shallow, not enough to really take hold. You can see where the U is shaped. It's over the Midwest. If it was back here towards the West, uh, there could be enough energy for it to really dig down to the South and make for another uh, kind of snowy and cold situation across the United States. But since this is expected to be pretty shallow, uh, it's more of a clipper system uh, bringing impacts to the Northeast. That's that system that I was just talking about. What happens in behind that trough is a ridge starts to develop, and I'm talking an expansive one, all the way here towards the west coast, back into the plains, and then approaching uh, the Midwest. A couple pieces of energy, that's more of a traditional clipper system, tries to come through on Tuesday and Wednesday, and uh, it's kind of a flip scenario in that you'll get one or two days with some rain, maybe some colder temperatures before a longer pattern sets up with the ridge that you see here uh, back towards the west. So again, it's not a long time with cold temperatures. It's a short stint with a cooler temperatures before the major pattern starts to take over across the United States. So here's a look at the current snow depth. This is worth revisiting in a week from now as we continue to have those above average high temperatures. It may still you know, see some significant snow uh, in and across the Dakotas, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, uh, but back into Iowa, Illinois, and Michigan, even into New York, uh, we're going to start to see you know, the potential for the snow depth really to be eaten away with those high temperatures next week. As for your Friday morning, Friday afternoon, there's the next low pressure system starting to take shape in the bottom part of your screen and working up towards the northeast as we go through our Saturday and Sunday. Uh, fill up. That's going to be with one L, not two. Got some morning clouds and uh, some PM sun high around 43 degrees. Alva, Oklahoma, rain high about 45. And then go to New York State, cloudy high about 53 for Penyang. Can you control a tractor with your phone? Well, it's possible. We'll take a look at that and some of the top innovations from this year's Consumer Electronics Show next. And later, transplanting pig kidneys in humans will tell you about the latest research in the country. Farm Journal's new machinery and technology editor, Matthew Grassi, just got back from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Always a really cool show from a gadget and home electronics standpoint, but some of our ag companies are really starting to find a home there at the CES, Matt. That's right, Clinton. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, CES, yeah, it was a uh, it was a whirlwind of a trip. Yes, ag, uh, ag was pretty prevalent on the floor there. I uh, spent quite a bit of time at the Deer booth, was impressed with uh, both the scale of, of the exhibit there as well as how uh, simple, how they and, and made it simple for the attendees to understand the intersection of tech and sustainability when you're talking about that John Deere tech stack. But one of the reasons that we're here is to advocate for the industries that we're representing. So whether that be agriculture, construction, road building, we're here to raise the voice of our customers and ensure that society hears. Now, as I talk to people here at the show, um, many of them don't have a thorough understanding of where their food comes from. And so we have an opportunity as a, as a large OEM in the agriculture and construction and forestry space to raise that voice and, and let everyone know the hard work that our farmers do and the sustainable work that our farmers do each day. Matt, I know there are just thousands upon thousands of products, but can you narrow it down from an ag standpoint? Give us your top three things that you saw. I would have to start with the uh, the Bobcat AT450X enabled by Agtonomy Utility Tractor. I know that's a mouthful there, Clinton, but uh, really interesting combination of technology. 
it was just a, a, a an amazing ecosystem that they've created on this electrified automated tractor. And really the, the real power and brains behind it is the mobile app that Agtonomy, the team there, has designed for it. Interesting. Number two for you, the second coolest thing that you saw while at CES. For me, Clinton, that would have to be the Infinitum Aircore Mobility Engine Technology that... Uh, one of these newer startups that's not really a well-known ag company has presented, and it's actually in commercialization. It's on the market now. The way it's being applied in agriculture is via irrigation pumps, as well as there is some application for a combine technology. So what that uh, air core mobility smart engine they're calling it does is it takes the inside of a traditional engine, a lot of iron and copper wires and coils, and it replaces them with these stators, these plastic stators. They're like a, almost like a circuit board, circular. And what happens is it's powered by electricity, and these things start spinning around inside that engine and creating all this additional power inertia that is then transferred to whatever you're trying to drive with the drive shaft or, or however it hooks into the engine there. Number three would be the aforementioned John Deere tech stack. Now the main highlight of that was the uh, the ARX autonomous tractor that was running field tillage about 1300 miles away in Austin, Texas. And you could actually go up to the display, pick up an iPhone and tell the tractor to turn or stop or do, you know, and it was live streaming right there up on the wall. It was pretty neat. They stop it, they start it, they turn it, they increase its speed. And we work them through the planting cycle. Some of the new technology we have there, furrow vision, for example, that takes the eyes of the farmer and puts it in the row unit of the planter. We then talk about sea and spray, nurturing our crop and, and, and applying chemicals when appropriate and how we can save two-thirds of chemical with our sea and spray technology. By 2030, it's our goal to demonstrate a fully autonomous corn and soy production system. So that means the tillage pass, the planting pass, the spraying pass, and the harvesting operation. I guess uh, the main takeaway would be that, that this technology, while a lot of it's still a concept in ag, I mean, it's it's maturing, it's starting to become come closer to true commercialization and showing up on the farm gate, I believe. Matthew, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for attending CES this year. Uh, he's our machinery and technology editor for Farm Journal. Appreciate all you do. Thanks for your time, Clinton. Appreciate it. All right, waiting on an organ donor is a real concern for those facing kidney failure, but researchers are now trying to use pigs for these vital parts. Details next. livestock can save our lives, not just with the food they provide, but helping keep humans alive through organ transplants. Earlier this week, we told you about surgeons externally attaching a pig liver to a brain-dead human body. They watched it successfully filter blood, a key step toward eventually trying the technique on living patients with liver failure. Now we're hearing that doctors at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, transplanted genetically modified pig kidneys into three people who were brain dead. Then they gave them FDA approved drugs to help suppress the immune system so the body doesn't reject the unfamiliar organ and appears to have worked. 
and we implanted these kidneys just like we would in a living person uh, inside the abdomen, uh, and we hooked the little tube that carries the urine from the kidney, we hooked it up to the bladder just like you would in a living person. And so um, I think it really allowed us to demonstrate what this would look like in the living, but allowed us to do this in a preclinical human model uh, and demonstrate, as I said, for the first time, life-sustaining renal function. Researchers say there are currently more than 100,000 people in the U.S. waiting for a transplant, but there's a shortage of organs available, specifically for kidneys. The wait can be as long as five years. That's why this research is so important. Now they're hoping the FDA will approve a clinical trial later this year. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tune in from all of us here at Ag Day. I'm Clint Have a great day. I'm Clint